Good evening, everybody. Hey, I got a story to tell you. This, uh, um, I have a college roommate. Matter of fact, I had several of them. But uh, this particular college roommate, uh, a tree fell on him, and for whatever reason, um, that sped up his Parkinson's disease. And from that, he shook and just, I mean, he just declined. They put him into a, um, a rehab center that didn't do any rehab, and he just got worse and worse and recently passed away. Well, his wife asked if I'd be a part of the uh, memorial service. I said, well, yeah, yeah, I, I will do that. So uh, she said, there'll be a guy named such and such, and he's going to give you a call. So uh, sure enough, the guy called, and uh, he said, uh, yeah, I went to college at the Ozarks. So I said, so did I, yeah. He said, um, um, I worked for a long time at Silver Dollar City. I said, oh, I did too. He said, what, what time were you at Silver Dollar City? And I said, oh, I was there from uh, 71 uh, into 72. Oh, he said, I was there then, yeah. He said, where did you work? And I said, well, I was a cave guide. And he said, well, did you work for Carol Chris? Yes, I worked for Carol. Well, uh, after being a cave guide, I also worked in attractions. Uh, attractions, he said, I was in charge of attractions. I said, no. Yeah, he said, I was in charge of attractions. I said, what about that? Uh, he said, where did you work? And I said, I worked in a float trip. Well, a float trip had what was called the Horseshoe Falls. We, we had, a, had a little uh, belt that the boat sat on, and then we'd hit a, a button, and this belt would push the, the boats out into the water, and then jet pumps would send it on around, send this boat on around, okay? So near the end of it, there was what was called Horseshoe Falls. Here was this big bridge that came up like this, and the stagecoach went over the top of that bridge, Underneath the bridge, there was a four-inch pipe, and it shot water out to the other side. <laughs> you know, a powerful little thing. Well, there was an electric eye, so as the boat came through, got real close to that, that waterfall, the electric eye shut the water off. Boom. Oh, and, and, you know, so I'd like to go watch people as they go through it and see how crazy they feel and all that sort of thing. So this very beautiful and attractive Japanese lady with his beautiful bun of black, gorgeous hair and her six foot three. She was about four foot 11, maybe. She might have get five feet. And I'm sure that she must have weighed somewhere around 110. If, if, but it was, she, she was a diminutive thing. He was about six three, was a former Marine. Uh, just, I mean, he was a big guy. They honestly looked strange together, but they loved each other dearly and made that least obvious. So they get in there. I hit the deal. There's nobody. It's, it's fall. There's nobody else coming, see? And so they had them around. I'm thinking, boy, that's taking a long time. Oh, I bet they're around by Horseshoe Falls. So I go by Horseshoe Falls, and I'm watching right there, and it didn't shut off. And this four-inch pipe blasted her right in the side of her head. All of that hair came over the other side. The boat got water in it. The marine got wet. The, I mean, they, they were dripping wet. And I was there watching it and went, oh, no. Man, I, I, I went quick and I said, I need security down here right away. I need security down here right away. Okay? So... 
this bolt comes on around. He is so mad at me, he's going to take my head off. I mean, he is threatening me with, I wouldn't be talking to you tonight if he got to carry out what he was planning to do, all right? And he said, uh, I, I don't appreciate that. That was the most horrible thing to not shut that off. I said, sir, I didn't do that. I didn't do any of that. Now this guy comes down and he's, he's talking to him and said, now security's down there talking to him. The owner of Silver Dollar City is down there talking to him. I mean, it's, this is a, an international incident. You know, <laughs> this is really serious. So I'm telling this to this guy and I say, that's what happened to me at float trip. And he starts laughing. He said, I have told that story 500 times. I said, seriously? He said, yeah, I was in charge of all new hires. So I had an orientation every week for, I don't know, 15 years or something like that. And he said, so I've told that story 500 times. I told my wife that story, and she said, that's the stupidest story. That didn't happen. You made that all up. He said, no, I'm serious. It really did happen. And he said, I am talking to the guy that did it. And I said, I'm talking to security? He said, yes, this, this, I was security. I was the guy that came down. I said, thank you for saving my life. He said, yes, he was going to kill you. He, he thought you did it. We, we had to talk like crazy people to keep, convince him that you're not in control of that. So anyway, it turned out that it was a freak incident where one time a year, the sunlight kept the electric eye open. It wouldn't happen again because the sun doesn't stay in the same spot. It moves down, so they couldn't get it to do it again. But that one time, the sun hit that electric eye and didn't shut it off. Whew. Anyway, so I thought that's peculiar. We're both believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The memorial service is going to be in his church, this is going to be a, a, a pretty neat thing. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to meet him. I'd never met him before. Uh, so anyway, going to be fun. You never know who you're going to run into, do you? He said, I just can't believe that I'm hearing this story that I told myself 500 times or so. Anyway, oh, I've got something really exciting to talk to you about. Did you get a chance to read Chapter 53 in your book? Um, and don't answer that. Because I, <laughs> I don't know how many people are reading the book and whatever. I thought chapter 53 was a little difficult to understand if, if, you, if you read it. So what tonight I'm going to do is uh, try to give you a little understanding of that as I see it from uh, what he was talking about there. So um, let's have prayer and we'll go from there. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the kindness you show to us and the things that you share with us every day. Thank you that we are enrolled in your school and you're busy teaching us every day. Help us to be good with those lessons and to understand them. And I'm going to give you praise for that just now. Thank you for it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Tonight we're supposed to be talking about the result of reckoning. The result of reckoning. And I want to make sure that we are understanding what reckoning is. Reckoning is just faith. Reckoning means that I am counting something to be true and then acting on that. That's what I'm going to be doing. I'm counting something to be true and I'm acting on it. <clears throat> you are in God's school. The scriptures teach us that 
We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are created in the image of Christ Jesus unto good works. So we have things that we're supposed to be doing. But we're saved by grace. And may I say, we grow by grace. We are working with a God who knows we are like children in his eyes. We don't know and understand the things that he knows and understands. So what he's anticipating from us, what he's expecting from us, is that when I tell you something, you believe it's true. When I tell you something is thus and such, you believe it's true. That's what I'm expecting of you. That's what I'm wanting you to do. I'm wanting you to put confidence in me. And because I know that you're already having a problem with that, I'm going to put my spirit within you and put a new person in you so that you can respond that way. That is grace, guys. That's favor. That's God wanting you to be with him so bad. He's doing everything that he can to get you there. Does that make sense? So uh, when we are reckoning, we are putting ourselves in the presence of God. When I'm saying what you've said about me, and you know, Al earlier was talking about um, uh, faith that believes that Jesus is the Christ, that's, that was, that's enough to save you? Yes. Yes, it is. Because it's what God said is true. You're reckoning, you're counting on that to be true, and you're acting on it. You're saying, if that's what you say is true, then I trust you for it. And to the degree that you reckon and trust, to that degree you're going to grow. Everybody follow that? It's to that degree you're going to go. So whatever you're willing to believe, whatever you're willing to reckon to be true and act on it, in that area you'll grow. But if you say, I'm not going to act on that right now, you won't grow. And he'll wait until such time as you will. Now, as soon as you trusted Jesus Christ, you're in God's school, period. You're enrolled in, in God's school, all right? It's an everything, and I mean everything that happens to you through the day, is designed by the Father as his discipline, as his teaching, for you to trust in Jesus Christ and become just like Jesus. Everything. There are no accidents with him. That, that means uh, every good thing that happens, everything you don't like that happens, is a part of the lesson for God. When you reckon on something to be true, you can pass that lesson. You'll, you'll grow in that lesson. But I want you to, to know this. I've written some things down here. Time and revelation... This will not happen all at once. Just because you trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, nothing's automatic except you've become a new person. How to live that out is not automatic. How to follow in faith is not automatic. It's going to be a synergistic thing. That's what we call it. Sin, which, which means uh, to create something new, Ergistic, which has to do with energy. So something synergistic is something working together to create a new thing. So you have God working with you. This is you entering the yoke with Jesus to find rest for your souls. This is you not counting on yourself to do something for God. It's you counting on doing something with God. 
that makes different? It may sound like a subtle difference, and it may look exactly like the same work, but it's the energy to get the work done that's changing. If you do it on your own, you're like Cain. You decide what you want to do, and you, you think that God ought to accept your offering because you decided that's what he should accept. We don't want to behave like Cain. Cain was a murderer from the beginning. We don't want to behave like Cain. We want to enter the yoke with Jesus and be in a partnership with Jesus. All right? So to the, it's going to take time, and learning to live like God is called revelation. He's got to give you that. You, you're not going to know it just by your intelligence. You're not going to know it just by you thinking your way through it. You're going to need to trust him that he's going to show you how to do things. He's going to teach you what's truth. All right? So that's going to require reckoning or faith. All right? You may learn one principle at a time. That may be all that he's going to show you. Okay? God will reveal them to you when he sees you are ready. When he's revealing something to you, seize it. Take it right then. Don't, don't pass up the opportunity. Remember, Israel had the opportunity all through the Exodus to see what God was doing and to seize it because they had learned his ways. But instead, if he sent them quail, they just knocked the quail down, took off the feathers, and ate it raw, some of them. They hardly waited for it to, get, uh, to be cooked or anything else. Because they wanted the meat so bad. They're missing the point. You follow me? God brought them quail because they asked for meat. That's a big deal. That means you ought to stop and just look at those quail for a minute and say, this is unbelievable. What kind of God are we working with here that sends us meat like this? And that would be, instead of eating a quail, get on your knees and say, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful meal. What a great provision. You really are Yahweh Yira. You really are the Lord who provides. You follow where I'm coming from? So when you see an opportunity, seize it. Seize it right there. Because I'm telling you, since you trusted Jesus Christ, you're getting lessons every day. They're around you. All they're, they're lessons in phone calls. They're, who was it? Was it in here that we just said we, we were talking about somebody? No, I, it was um. Peggy Murphy had written uh, in a comment about um, Gordon and Jolene. She was saying, when the Lord prompts you to do something, do it then. That's seizing the opportunity, okay? Because Peggy, just the week before, had had a situation with her heart. And instead of taking her herself, they decided they better call the ambulance. Good thing they did. She had to be shot twice. Well, she's in her heartbeat was 226 beats per minute. So they're shooting her twice to get that heart back in rhythm again so they could get her to the hospital. Wow. So when God's prompting you to do something, seize it right then. That's how we learn our lesson. All right. But that's going to require <coughs> desire and discipline. God feeds those who open their mouth wide. And to open your mouth wide means, I really do want you to feed me. If you kind of go on, yeah, I guess, then the, there's not a great chance he's going to feed you a lot. But when you're saying, ah, 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 like that little bird, that when it, it's in the nest, it's opens its mouth wide, it's going to be fed because it wants to be fed. 
So your desire is going to go a long way <clears throat> and your discipline. How much are you willing to put out to be taught by the Lord? What are you willing to say no to so that you can have the Lord instead? What are you willing to say yes to so that you can have the Lord? You, you follow where I'm going? So desire and discipline are important with time and revelation. <clears throat> but let me give you two other words, humility and trust. Before you can have desire and have a discipline, there's a certain humility that says, I'm not my own boss. I'm not able to take care of myself fully. I am going to depend upon God to take care of me. You, you follow where I'm at? That's humility. That's saying God is bigger than I am. You, you might even be able to say, I know I could do this myself, but I would rather not and let God do that. I'd rather be taught by God than I would do this myself because I know that if I do it by myself, there is no fruit in it. But if I do it with him, there is fruit and the fruit remains. All right. <clears throat> so it's humility and trust. The proud cannot learn. The proud cannot learn. They don't believe they need anything. They don't believe they need to be instructed. Related to pride is that which is called foolishness. The fool despises instruction. So does the proud. So the proud and the fool are exactly the same thing. All right. <clears throat> the double-minded, James tells us, the one who, yeah, maybe he will, maybe he won't, the double-minded person can't learn either. He will not learn. So the proud cannot learn, and the double-minded will not learn all right, because they have doubt about everything that God's doing. Now, going back again, this is all of grace. So let's take a look at our notes now. The result of reckoning. Reckoning. Reckoning is counting what God says is true, acting on it as a true statement or command. It is the humble recognition that what God says is true regardless of my thoughts about it. This is always followed by actions which have been motivated from that recognition. It's acknowledging that what God says about my position with him, my state of being, is spotlessly true regardless of my condition, my situation that I'm in at any time in my life, and living from position rather than condition. Let's see if we can describe this once again. He says that tonight Doug White is seated in the heavenlies with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my position. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. So he says tonight that you are seated in the heavenlies. Now, you can say, no, I'm obviously sitting right here. That's not what he says. That's your condition. Your position is that you are in Christ in heaven tonight. Your position is you are already perfect. Your condition is you're struggling to get through the day. What we're trying to do is by reckoning, get condition and position real close together, if not the same. I don't think we'll get them the same until we get the new body. Everybody with me? We're, I don't think we're going to get them to be the same until we get the new body. When you are reckoning, you are uh, <clears throat> in the presence of God. Let me, let me see if I can show you what I mean. 
when you are reckoning, God says, I'm seated in heavenly places. I am reckoning that I am in heavenly places right now. So in those heavenly places, I am looking down on my circumstances, what your author tells you. I'm looking down on my circumstances, not in my circumstances. You follow where I'm coming from? I'm looking down. What is God doing in me? What's he wanting to do? Instead of me going, oh, no, man, a flat tire. Oh, bummer, man. Look at the crowd here. Oh, I don't want to wait in this line. Da, 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 da. Instead of being in the circumstance, get to your position and look down on it. When you are reckoning, you are in heavenly places looking at the things that are bigger than what you're living right now. I'll tell you how it's changing things for me. When I get in traffic, I'm trying to think, if I'm looking from heaven and I'm looking down on this traffic, there's lots of cars going all over the place. And sometimes when you come to those exits and stuff, you need to look ahead and say, okay, is there anybody in that exit that's coming out? If you're, if you're one of those that says, I'm not going to let anybody in, then you're, you're in trouble already. You, you understand what I'm saying? Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a position where you were in a hurry and you're trying to get in traffic and you cut somebody off? If you have, then understand this. Back off. Let them in. What are you going to lose? Two seconds? Let them in. What can you gain from that? One, you took away all anxiety from yourself. Two, you just dropped pride and you picked up humility. You're just saying, I, I could be in this. I don't know whether this guy is uh, on his way to a, an appointment that maybe uh, uh, the eggs broke and now he's on his way. He's got to get to an appointment because of something he needed to do. You ever been in a place where you need to get someplace in a hurry? Then think it through. I can see this from heaven. What does God want to do? God wants to remove pride in me. God wants to make me a patient person. God wants me to be just like Jesus Christ. So if I let this guy in, I haven't lost anything. I've gained something. I have now become like Christ. I have just done what Christ would do. Because he told us, you know, if a guy, slap, if a guy takes, uh, uh, takes your shirt from you, give him your tunic too. All right? So, as you would that others do to you, do unto them. Now you're thinking above. Does that make sense? Now you're thinking above, all right? So, when you are reckoning that this thing is true, when you're reckoning that you're seated in heavenly places, when you're reckoning that you've been fully forgiven, when you're reckoning that you are a dead to sin and alive to God, when you're reckoning those things to be true, you are in the realm of Christ, you are right in the realm of Christ. You have joined in with that. And uh, to use a phrase that you, you may not particularly like, but it's the only one I can think of that makes sense, it opens the portal, so to speak, of awareness in Christ. It's like there is a, well, I'll say it this way. Jacob left because he knew his brother was going to kill him. He's getting out of Dodge. He's on his way out, and when he gets so far from home, he is tired. So he lays down, puts a stone under his head, and he goes, I, man, I, that boy's got more than I got. But he lays down there, and in his laying down, he sees all of a sudden a staircase is opened up, and he sees angels going back and forth on this staircase. Okay? 
that's like a portal. That's like a place where God was going back and forth. He was sending his angels back and forth at that. Jesus told Nathaniel, you are going to see the heavens open and the angels going back and forth. There was a point at which three guys got to see Jesus transfigured and something opened in heaven that allowed Moses and Elijah and Jesus to all be in the same place at the same time. Somewhere heaven and earth meet. Well, wherever that is, that's what you do when you are reckoning yourself to be alive unto God. When you are reckoning yourself to be a child of God. That's what you're entering right there. All right? And in that entering, um, you are in, in the classroom of understanding. Not just in the classroom of lessons. Um, maybe, maybe you're like, I, I, I can remember sitting in some of my math classes in high school. And I knew. I have no idea what they're talking about here, okay? So I sat there. I'm taking notes, and I'm watching guys just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they go to the board, and they're working out kind of problems. And I know, oh, no, he's going to ask me. I know he's going to ask me. He's going to know in no uncertain terms I'm dumb as mud. I don't have any clue how to do what he's talking about here. Well, sure enough, he's going to ask me. I was not in the classroom of understanding. I was in the classroom of lesson. One day, I'm in Greek class, brand new to Greek class, didn't know I had to take Greek. I didn't know that was going to come up. And I've got to take Greek and Hebrew at the same time. It's got to take two languages. I've already had French and German, so I knew that those, I wouldn't even think about doing them at the same time. I get everything confused. But now I'm going to do Greek and Hebrew. They said, don't worry about it. They're completely different alphabets. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm sitting in the class, and he's asking, what's a noun? I'm 24, and the others that are sitting in this class are 18, 19 years old. I'm the old man in that bunch, and not one of them is answering a question. I said, a noun is the name of a person, place, or thing. And I thought, where did I get that? Eighth grade. That was an eighth grade definition. My eighth grade teacher made us memorize 46 English rules. And you had to be able to say them in under six minutes. Yo, I'm telling you. Those words came up to me. And I started laughing because he said, anybody know what a preposition is? Oh, God, I knew. I knew. You see, now I'm in a class of understanding. You follow me? Every day that you reckon, you're in a class of understanding, not simply in a class of lesson. When you're not reckoning, you may miss the lesson. You're going to get to hear it again. I mean, it's, it's not like oh, he gives you an F and you're, <laughs> you're not in class anymore. No, you're going to be in class. Till the day you go home to glory, you're going to be in class. And he's going to keep on giving you that lesson or, and multiple others, all right? Let's talk about relationship. <clears throat> From the beginning, it has been God's will for he and man to have an eternal relationship like father and son. The sin of distrust and unbelief broke that relationship, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sent to bring it back in full completion. 
It is this action on God's part that's called the gospel. It is good news that this impassable breach has been repaired completely by the Lord Jesus Christ for those who place faith in him or trust him. All right, move on to redemption and restoration. Because when you're reckoning, you're now getting the relationship restored. So let's go to redemption and restoration. Pardon me while I read. Man cannot redeem himself before God. He has neither the ability or the desire. Instead, we set up actions acceptable to our own inner standards and think that they should be acceptable to God for our justification. We want credit for being good even when it's not deserved and in no way is close to the standard that God sets. The Lord Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh, both fully God and fully man. He walked before God with impeccable trust in Him. He was fully pleasing to God and was found perfect. He gave His life in behalf of ours, exchanging His righteousness for our sin. His death was an acceptable sacrifice to God on our behalf, and God counted us, that is, God's reckoning us. Is this still working? God's, God, this is still, okay. And God is reckoning us to be fully justified. You follow what I'm saying? So here's God reckoning us. He's, he's saying they're fully justified. He's not getting that by our actions. He's getting that by what his son did. So he's accounting us. He's reckoning us to be justified because of something his son did. All right. Um, he's counting the satisfaction of his life for ours, and God gave the Lord Jesus Christ his resurrection. Because his death had been our death, his resurrection is also our resurrection. For those who put trust in him, his crucifixion crucifies the old man in us and nullifies the body of sin. Then it's separated from us and sin does not have dominion over us. We are not ruled by sin any longer. Okay? The second phase of Christ's work at the end of his life here is the resurrection. Through it, the Spirit creates a new man in us to replace the crucified old man. It is created in true righteousness and holiness and is the image of Christ in us. Just as the old man had been the generator of sin in us, so now the new man is the generator of holiness, godliness, and righteousness in us. Empowered by the Spirit, it is what bears fruit in us. It is the source of good works acceptable unto God. It is through Him that the Spirit of God makes the works of Christ work through us. This all works through our reckoning, trusting with full initiative and application, reckoning it to be so. Does that make sense to you? Everybody with me? All right. Any comments or questions? Does this all seem like it's all repetitive stuff? Just trying to uh, make sure we're having it because this is important. This is how you have victory in your Christian life. You know, if uh, Israel, if Israel goes in and crosses the Jordan and they start eating real food and they're not eating manna anymore and God tells them you're going to go in and fight and win, they have to reckon that to be so. When they march up to Jericho, they're going to have to reckon that they're going to win this battle. Does that make any sense? they got to believe it. they got to reckon it to be so. They've got to be able to see God's going to give us the victory here. 
And then they're going to use the craziest tactics that, as far as I know, anybody's ever used. It's, and I know that God did that just so they'd have to understand God wins his battles his way. And he'll win those battles for you. It, it, it sounds crazy just to walk around a town and keep doing that for six days. And then on the seventh day, walk again, and this time blowing trumpets totally loud. That, that doesn't make sense. But if you reckon it to be God's counsel, then it makes perfect sense. This is what God says is going to happen. Listen, how many times did he do that? Here's Gideon. Gideon's got 300 guys. And they surround all of this camp in the Midianites. It's, it's pitch dark out there. They got campfires going, but it's pitch dark. And then all the same time, with those lamps in their hands and the horn blowing, they break those lamps, the light's shining, and all the Midianites can see is that the army of Israel is completely surrounding them. And listen to all the horns. Good land, there must be 150,000 of them. And they're in the dark. They run into each other. They kill each other. That's God's plan for doing things. You follow that? Gideon had to reckon that to be true. Believe that that's exactly what was going to happen. All right. So what is the result of my reckoning or trusting what God has said as reality, that it's actually reality? <clears throat> and I'm, even as I'm going through these, you'll see these in small numbers. You, you're not going to see them all at once. And as I go through this list, you're going to say, I don't think I'd ever see that. I don't think I'd ever see that. Or you may say, I can't wait for that to happen. Or I've already been there multiple times. So here's what happens. In short, what is happening to us when we reckon it to be so, the life of Christ is now being lived out in me. Now, kids, that's mystical. I understand. That's, that's not a normal thing. But the life of Jesus becomes or comes into your life and is living it out. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing in us. He's living this out. And when I'm reckoning, he's now very much alive, moving in me. All right? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live of the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. All right? Who loved me and gave himself for me. In short, here's what happens. When I am reckoning, I have enlightenment to the Word of God. It is my privilege to be given access by the Spirit into the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 16 says precisely that, that you who are spiritual have the mind of Christ. You compare spiritual things to spiritual things. He has given you His Spirit. You're understanding the things of God. Fair enough? All right. Um, in Matthew 13, 10 to 17, Jesus has just told a parable, and you know, the disciples are going, wow, what? that's a good parable, but what does that mean? So they wait for the crowd to go away, and then Jesus come, they come over to Jesus and say, um, you know, that was a really good parable. Uh, <laughs> could you kind of explain it to us? And Jesus says this, because they won't hear, they'll get to speak in parables without explanation. But it's been given to you 
to know the meaning of the parables. It's been given to you to know the, the secret things of God. That is a privileged status to people who are reckoning Christ to be the Christ. That's a strange sound, isn't it? All right. Uh, John 16, 13 to 15, he said the Holy Spirit's going to come and he will bring to your mind all the things that I've taught you. That's a promise that's coming from the Spirit of God. First Thessalonians 5, or I'm sorry, 1 John 2, 27 says, the anointing which you have received teaches you and you have no need for any man to teach you for the Spirit of God will teach you. Okay, fair enough. That's what's happening when you're reckoning things to be true. You're getting an understanding in the Word of God. Number two, I am motivated and empowered to pray in complete faith that what I ask for, I will receive. John 15, 7 and 8 says, <clears throat> If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit so shall you be called my disciples. All right? So he's telling us we're going to have answers to prayer. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 5.17 says pray without ceasing. Listen, when you pray without ceasing, in faith believing that God's hearing you, you are in that realm again. You have, you have entered into the realm of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is just like you have gone from here to heaven, and you're, you're sitting right next to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't ask you to visualize that. That's, that'd be a wrong thing to do. Don't, don't even bother to visualize that because it'll make you have some sort of vision of who Jesus is. Forget that. Let, let Jesus be Christ and you be you. All right. uh, so I'm motivated to, and empowered to pray in complete faith that what I ask for I will receive. Then my life is filled with the joy of the Lord, praise of the Lord, and the desire to encourage my brothers and sisters about Christ and the life in him. I am being grateful in everything. So that's what's going on. Joy, thanksgiving, praise. That goes on when you are reckoning who Jesus Christ is, when you are reckoning that you're in Christ, that gives you a desire to pray and give thanks. I, I guarantee it'll happen every time. If you pray without ceasing and believing that Jesus Christ is who he is and you are in Christ Jesus, you'll be wanting to praise the Lord and giving thanks all the time. All right? Again, I am led by the Spirit in the power of the cross to put off the deeds of the old man. I'm realizing now these are just habits. The old man is dead. I'm not under condemnation anymore. I can afford to kill these things off. They're not, they're not holding me anymore. I'm not in, they're not in dominion over me. I can beat them. I can win this. I, I, I can put them off. And I'm going to put off the old man, and I'm going to put on the new man. I, I now have a way to defeat this. I have new things I can do that I didn't have before. I have new tools at my reach that I didn't have before. So instead of me having to give in to temptation, I can turn and say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me and do something that's right. I can replace doing old things with giving somebody a call to encourage them. I can replace old things with, <clears throat> well, just like I was talking about with traffic. You can take the, instead of now being upset because somebody wants to get into traffic, you can back off and say, come on in, man. Let's, let's be buddies. Move on in. You see, you see where I'm coming from? 
replace the anger you might have done or the horn honking or the mashing of the gas pedal to make sure that he can't get in there. Stop all that madness. Put that off and put it on instead. Come on in. All right. So that is something when you're reckoning, you're being led to do that. I'm being led, I am led by the Spirit to let Christ be revealed in me. I'm learning now I'm not nearly as important as I thought I was. I don't have to be revealing myself all the time. I'd rather Christ be revealed in me. So how can I show Jesus here in Walmart? <clears throat> what does it look like to be Jesus in my home? What's it look like to be Jesus? You follow where I'm coming from? It's letting him live through. Jesus, you said that I am seated in heavenly places. What would that look like here at my house? All right. On the next page, I'm led by the Spirit to see myself alive unto God and dead unto sin. Romans 6, 11. I can now, that becomes a reality to me when I'm reckoning something to be true. It becomes real to me. The next one, I'm enlightened to see the life out of death principle at work in me. Now, your author made a big deal of this one, uh, putting it in, I don't know, three or four different paragraphs. I, I am enlightened to see the life out of death principle at work in me and through me. And that is, as he put it, the sacrificial quality of being poured out for others. It's Jesus talking about, accept a grain of wheat, fall into the ground, and die. It bears no fruit. But if it falls on the ground and dies, it will bear much fruit. So that's what he was wanting to take place. That's why he said, it's important for me to die on the cross right now, for all of you will live because I die on this cross. It's important for you to learn to die to having things your own way. Uh, Jesus was showing us that kind of thing as a living sacrifice when at the Last Supper, he's now getting up, taking off the, his clothes that he doesn't need, putting on a towel, going to get a basin of water, and washing all the disciples' feet. He died to himself. I mean, this is the Son of God doing that. If anybody ought to be doing something, the disciples ought to be washing his feet. They ought to be doing what Mary did uh, just the week before, the weekend before, when she's anointing him with oil. They ought to be put, pouring out all kinds of offerings onto him. But Jesus is saying, no, I'd rather die to me that life can come from it. So he washes their feet and he says, I have done this for you that you should use this as an example to do to each other. So he's teaching us how to die to ourselves and pour out our life for other people. So that's, that's what's known as the life out of death principle. Um, I am a grain of wheat falling into the ground and dying to my former life that I may be a fruitful plant before God. My death to this world results in fruit in the next life and for the glory of the Lord now. All right. And that's found in John 12, 24 and 25 and 2 Corinthians 4, 12. In this life out of death principle, some of the graves, and that's what he, he called them, so I put them in there as, in quotes. Uh, the graves in which I'm dying to give life include my home, my school, the place where I work, the ministry, the mission field, the hospital, you name it. They form the context or the arena for the life of Christ to be expressed in me. 
maybe you're used to your home and you're used to sitting in your favorite chair. <laughs> it reminds me of a story. I, I was down at, uh, I was working at this time in Branson. I was working at the Holiday Inn. I was a maintenance man and pool specialist there. That's what, that's just names you get to be called. Doesn't mean a thing. Uh, but anyway, I went in the laundry room and there was one of the, the, um, the, well, she was actually the head maid and she was in charge of housekeeping and she is grousing. I mean, she's just, she's just complaining about everything. And I said, Etta, what's wrong with you? She said, well, what do you expect? I didn't get any sleep last night. I said, what happened? Oh, she said my husband went coon hunting last night. I said, what's that got to do with you sleeping? Well, he brought some dogs home and made me get out of my bed and share to let them dogs. He, she said he got me up and said, them dogs has been hunting all night. You, you get up from there. They're tired. I just looked at her and thought, what? Now, had he died to himself at home? No. No, he was expecting everybody else to serve him. He has a plan. His dogs are important. So you, get out of the way and let them dogs sleep. All right? You follow where I'm coming from? When you go to your house, are there things that you expect to be done for you, expect to be done your way? It has to be your way and you, somebody's in the way. When you, when you now give up and let them do the thing, do you do it willfully and joyfully? Or do you grouse about it? I'll give in. You know, you follow where I'm coming from? When you're at school, when you're at work, wherever it is you are, what are those things that you believe you have a right to demand that you could die to and somebody else could live from? That's what he's talking about. All right. Comments, thoughts? I'm doing a lot of talking here, and nobody's getting to talk to me at all. All right, here we go. <clears throat> I understand that I am seated in the heavens with and in the Lord Jesus Christ. That causes me to know that all I am going through is being done in the presence of God with the intent of conforming me to the image of Christ. I'm no longer under circumstances, but above them all in our victorious Lord. Every situation in life is but one more lesson in the school of Christ in which I'm enrolled. They all have meaning and purpose. In it all, Jesus is shown in my life, and I come to even greater intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I get to know Jesus better all the time because I'm understanding that my circumstances are happening from heaven and in heaven. And I can have victory over the circumstances because of that. Right. No matter how difficult the path may seem, in this pilgrimage I can rest in Christ. I'm in the yoke with him, so whatever is happening to me is happening to us both, and he is always victorious. In it all, Jesus is shown in my life, and I'm come to even greater intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. If that sounds like that sentence above, it is. Because it's the same thing. The same thing's happening to me. Jesus Christ gets to be revealed in my life, and I'm now having greater intimacy than ever before. 
<clears throat> Daily, I am learning how temporary this life really is. I'm camping in this body of humiliation, as your author put it, while serving in this world of death. This is just a tent. This isn't where you're going to wind up. This is not the final body you're going to have. This is just a tent. And this is a place of humiliation. And it's going to feel pain. That's part, of the, that's part of the kids. It's going to suffer. But here's what he said. I know that the sufferings of this age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. He told us that, that we would be inheritors with Jesus Christ if we suffer together with him that we might rule together with him. So suffering with the Lord Jesus Christ only puts you in the place where you can reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. Last night, I had a phone call from the Kellys. Just kind of, was out of the clear, boy, I get a little email in the afternoon. No, no, a little, little text that says, can we talk together this evening? Oh, yeah, okay. That, that's a big deal for them because, you know, we're 12 hours apart. So figuring out a schedule there where we can really make a phone call sometimes gets to be tricky. Well, they are going through a tough time. Uh, as you recall, the Kellys, who are doctors uh, in, in uh, Bangladesh, um, they got called back home and then dismissed from the field. And it was all a false charge. It was all a mess. And through it, um, the organization they're with made people stop giving. Well, when they reinstated them back on the field again, they refused to call all those people back and say, you can go ahead and give. So the Kellys are at minimal support. And they're being called on, apparently while they were here in the States just recently, uh, a four-year-old boy who is not under control. His parents don't control him. Went, tore a hole in his motorcycle seat, came to the boat that they have as a, a getaway. If, if the political situation goes down, they can get in the boat, and it's a 45-minute ride to the airport, and they can get out of there. Okay. This boat motor uh, is, I forget, lots of horsepower so that it can move this boat down because it's got to take 30 people. So you can see the boat's pretty good size and the motor's pretty good size, so it's got to take 30 people up the river. Uh, the boat's out of the water, and this little four-year-old boy starts the motor, doesn't know what he's doing, and runs away. Nobody else knows how to turn the motor off. So this outboard motor is running with no circulating water going through it. It burned it up. Just to get an idea, it was $16,000. Yeah. $16,000 for a little boy who is not controlled, and he ruined it. Now, they don't have a way to get away, nor do they have another $16,000 to buy that boat and, or buy that motor. That had all been a gift, and 
How do you go back to gifting people and say, you got, got 16,000 more? <laughs> you don't. So they reported this. They said, this is what happened. And instead of them taking care of it, they blamed the Kellys for it, that this is all their fault. Well, the Kellys were in the States when this happened. You follow where I'm coming from? So this is, this is a painful thing. This is some of your teammates. And it's not like you can just go someplace and get away from it. To leave their compound is to go into Bangladesh. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's not, you're not loaded down with piles of friends. This is a Muslim and Buddhist country. So you don't just have a lot of places you can go to find comfort. So they, uh, they're, they're looking through it. They're understanding the humiliation that this, this is all about. This is all a temporary life. There are all kinds of difficulties and problems there. And you can't count on your friends to be supporting you in it. Ouch. So we just went back through and said, you know, that's just the Gospels all over again. When you read the Gospels, do you understand that Jesus was doing the right thing? And, and they, were, they were telling me about some of the people who are trusting Christ, some of the, some of the beautiful things that are going on. So you, you have this nasty stuff and this beautiful stuff going on. Do you see that's exactly what was going on with the Lord Jesus Christ? Here, Jesus is doing beautiful things. People are coming to know Jesus Christ. And all the time he's doing it, here's this group behind him that's plotting his death. Here's this group that's behind him that's shooting him down all the time. Here's the group that's with him that doesn't even understand enough about him to know that they need to stop arguing about which one of them is going to be the greatest when Jesus comes and takes his throne. He's got all of that junk to live with and he's still keeping focused on the mission, keeping focused on the love that he has for his father, the love that he has for his sheep, and getting this done. It's not, he's not looking to shine as, as Jesus. That, he's looking to shine as Jesus, the resurrected Savior. He's got to go through all that pain, all that suffering, all that misery, so he can get to the other side of it. Remember how he says it in Hebrews, that he endured the cross, despising its shame for the, for the joy that was before him. Oh, boy. Well, anyway. Well, uh, daily, I'm sorry, I'm learning and practicing willfully and joyfully the life of submission to God, to Christ, to the Spirit, to my brothers and sisters. That's Ephesians 5.21. The, the Spirit-filled man submits himself, one to, uh, submits himself to one another, all right? Through these I gain daily assurance of my salvation as my position, as my condition begins to reflect my position. Those are things that will happen to you when you reckon. You see why it's important to reckon these things to be true? This is the benefits that come from This is the result that comes from it. And all I'm wanting you to know is you're not going to learn it all at once. God blesses you for what you're willing to reckon. So keep on reckoning. 
Keep on saying, well, th- this is something that I haven't reckoned in, so I'm going to reckon on that now. This is something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and believe God in this area. I didn't know I could. I, I hadn't been, I'd been hesitant before, but now I'm willing to. These are the results that come from it. And they may not all be there. You may just feel part of them. But whatever it is, I can, I can go to the Word of God, and I can show you that's what he says are the benefits for reckoning. All right. Thoughts, comments? Anybody got anything? Yes, sir. Uh, Pardon me. Uh, If you take the world as a whole with what God created in six days, if you take a look at how long he's been preparing a place for us for 2,000-some-odd years, how glorious heaven's going to be. I mean, when you look at the the majestic waterfalls and some of the landscapes the earth has to deliver, the beaches and whatnot, wherever if you find that to be beautiful and somewhat glorious because God created it, if he did all that in six days, what has he done or doing in 2,000 years? Oh, amen. Wow. That's, that's a lot to think about right there. <laughs> you know, I was thinking just the other day, we are at, at rest when we go into the wilderness, you know, when we go for a walk or a hike or something like that. And I think I understand why. We know that when we go in there, that's all operating on its own. We're, we're not manipulating anything. That brook is not running because I'm telling it to run. I'm getting to observe it. Uh, the mud is doing something there that's going to be lasting. The, the, the trees are doing on their own, all these things. And I'm now in the awesome presence of God because it is like he said on that seventh day. I can rest because it's all working. I don't have to create anything. And when we go on walks like that, we're in it. We're seeing it happen. I think that's what brings peace to us when we go that way. That's a good thought, Paul. I like this comic he made on 237. 237? Uh, yeah. Well, it says, The Continuity of Manifestation. The foremost reason for reckoning ourselves to be in the glorified Lord is that his risen life may be manifested. Although our life is hid with Christ in God, his life is not meant to be hid in us. So, I'm looking at it. So let our light so shine. Why? Why are you yeah. hiding it? Let it, yeah. let it shine. That's what I got. I, I, I like that. So, well, that makes you feel pretty Amen. good. All this books makes a lot of good sense, you know. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Anything else? Let's just practice reckoning, shall we? Let's just practice reckoning. See what God can do in us. Amen. All right. Well, we've got several things to pray for, so it's time for us to go to prayer. Anything that you want to pray for, uh, then let's pray for that. All right? So um, anybody can pray that wants to, and then I will uh, finish off in prayer.